the Gospel of John. We'll turn our attention to the Gospel of John and chapter 3. And I will read verses 4 through 8 without a promise that we'll get that far. Nicodemus said to Jesus, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit of God. Amen. Let's pray before the preaching of the word. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for the opportunity of gathering together and uh, hearing these words. And now, by your grace, I pray that you would help me to explain them and apply them. May uh, your people, Lord, be blessed. May those who are not Christians who are here, Lord, may you impart to them the life-giving spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So let's uh, review from last week. This is a very short review. In verses 1 through 3, Jesus makes this point to Nicodemus. You need a new spiritual, new supernatural life to see the kingdom of God. That was Jesus' point. You need a supernatural life. As he says, you must be born from above. And Nicodemus understands this. he He grasps something of it because of his reply. He says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And <clears throat> the Greek in this sentence, uh, is the question, uh, there's such a way that you can write a sentence where you expect a negative answer. And the same, and we kind of do this in English with tone, right? So we'll say, you didn't go out in the storm. What am I expecting you to say? Oh, I'm not that stupid. I didn't go out in the storm, right? And in Greek, you can actually do this the way that you uh, ask the question. So he's expecting a negative answer. So he understands an idea. It's not that Nicodemus is dense, that he thinks you have to be literally born a second time and go back inside your mother's womb. And, and No. He's asking this question because he doesn't understand. That's, he at least knows that much. And that's a good place to start, right? I know this much. I don't understand. In essence, is what he is confessing. And now Jesus answers Nicodemus by showing him the nature of the new birth. Then he explains the reason why the new birth is of this nature. And then he gives an example. 
So the nature of the new birth, let's, let's read it together. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's the nature of the new birth. The reason that which is born of flesh and flesh, that which is born of the Spirit and Spirit, is Spirit. And then he gives an example of the wind. Do not marvel that I said this to you, Nicodemus. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from. So those three parts. It's as if Nicodemus says, surely, surely, a man cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Nicodemus is confused. He understands that Jesus is saying you need a new life, but he doesn't understand the nature. He doesn't grasp it. Nicodemus would count himself a faithful Jew. More than that, he wasn't only a faithful Jew, he was a teacher among the Jewish people, and he was part of the Sanhedrin, as we saw last week. And we can add that he had some spiritual perception, some. He comes to Jesus, and he confesses that Jesus has worked miracles by the power of God. So he has some spiritual perception. But he sees the impossibility in what Jesus is saying. Can a man enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? This is the condition of most people. They, most people would tell you, and maybe in America, declining probably, but most people would say they live by the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? Until they're offended or mistreated. And then they, they, what, what kicks in is the ethic of uh, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But most churchgoers, most people who go to church, will have a similar estimation of themselves. They may add that they need Christ to die for their sins, or they may include other religious concepts into their thinking. But there is no spiritual understanding or vigor evident in their life. They have not been born again. They have not been born again. And this is the issue. This is where Nicodemus is struggling. Nicodemus would say, but I'm a good man. What are you talking about? I don't live like the world or in the world. I don't give myself over to these things. Matter of fact, I joined an exclusive club where you have to be extra special holy. John hints at these things. I remember when we were in the first chapter of John that, that I said that John gives us themes that he's going to develop throughout the book in, in the beginning of the gospel. So in chapter 1, verse 13, he says that the children of God are those who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, we can think to ourselves by our own power, by our own ability, by some strength in us that we can do enough. We can do the right thing and God will let us into heaven. But that's not it. We need to be born again. And the reason this is difficult, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2.14, 
The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. It takes the Spirit of God to understand the things of God. If not, Christianity just basically becomes a philosophy or some kind of a moral ethic, a code that you live by, some kind of religious badge that you use. And all of it is works righteousness. The new birth is not the reception of facts. I'm going to memorize the Westminster Confession of Faith or the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith or I'm going to read all of the study notes in, in the, you know, uh, uh, Ryrie Study Bible or whatever it is, you know, like that's, that, that's not going to make you a Christian. It's not a transferal of information. It's not a moral reformation. Like, i got to clean myself up or, uh, no. The new birth is not something that we do. We don't do the new birth. Let me illustrate it this way. And you know, I'm, I'm borrowing from the news. Let's say you have been infected with a very powerful virus or some disease and it's killing you. And you decide because this disease is killing you, you say, well, I'm, I'm going to get a new wardrobe. I'm going to go buy all snazzy clothes, look really good. Maybe that'll help, right? And you come to church on Sunday, man, you look really nice. What, what, what's going on? Oh, I'm deathly ill, and I thought these new jeans would help. Huh? You, you might laugh at that person. How, did, how about if uh, they uh, come to church, you drove by their house, you saw a for sale sign in front of their house, and it said, sold. You say, yes, your house is sold? Yeah, we moved. We got a new house up the road. Bigger, newer, nicer, more property. I mean, it's beautiful. Oh, what happened with the other one? What, what, yeah, I thought you liked your house. Oh, I'm deathly ill. So I thought buying a new house would, would fix me. You say, no, that's not how that works, friend. How about if they got a new haircut, a facelift? New diet, exercise, wouldn't do anything. Why? Because they're dealing with externals only, and there's something wrong inside. The new birth is not a reformation. It's not just like I, I need to change things about myself, uh, be around new people. No, these are all impulses of the child of God. These are things that are produced when there's new life but they don't produce new life. The new birth is not being or becoming religious. No. Unless one is born from above, he will not see the kingdom of heaven. To, to even perceive it, that, that, that it's a reality, and it's a place that I can enter, I must be born again which I don't do. And so Jesus, uh, Nicodemus is confused, so Jesus helps him. And what he does, uh, very simply, is Jesus substitutes born from above with born of water and spirit. 
born of water and spirit. All he does is substitute it. So in essence, he's restating himself, but now he's adding some information that Nicodemus should understand. Because if you look at chapter 3, verse 10, Jesus answered and said to him, because Nicodemus, after the illustration, says, how can these things be? How can it be that this has to happen? And Jesus said to him, are you not the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Uh, So uh, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. So at least externally, he should have been familiar with the Old Testament, with the things the Old Testament said what God had taught his people. They had to memorize uh, certain portions of the Bible. Some say all of the Torah. Some say all, all, all um, uh, 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 various parts of it. Whatever it was, there was, Nicodemus had to have a grasp, at least on the content of the Bible, and a very fine grasp on it. So the things that Jesus is bringing up are things that were in the Scripture, and it's not a surprise that this was <clears throat> that Nicodemus didn't understand these things. Remember, Jesus is saying that only those who have been born again can understand these things, can see these things, can know these things. So when he's on the road to Emmaus, <clears throat> well, when two of his disciples are on the road to Emmaus, and they're walking with Jesus. Well, they don't know it's Jesus. They're walking, talking with each other. Jesus comes, asks them a question, and then he opens up the scripture and he teaches them about himself in all of the scriptures. And in verse 25, he says to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets, in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That's in Luke 24, 25 through 26. So even with his own disciples, after his death, There was this inability really to perceive everything and Christ has to come and and explain it to them and he rebukes them for not knowing. And here that he does the same thing. In essence, in verse 10, he rebukes Nicodemus for being a teacher and not knowing these things. So the reference to water and spirit had to be something that Nicodemus would have known, that he would have understood Jesus is not giving him a new doctrine or a new theology. It can't be Christian baptism because they don't do Christian baptism. Now that there is a relationship between the new birth and baptism is true. Baptism doesn't produce the new birth. But what baptism shows in the sign and in the symbol is that we've died to our old way of life and we've been raised to newness of life. But Jesus says, unless one is born of the water and spirit, and literally is born of water and of spirit. Born of water and of spirit. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
So how, do, how are we to understand this? Hey, it, um, turn to Titus 3.5, because in essence, this is what Jesus is saying. Turn to Titus 3.5. I'll give you a phrase from Titus 3.5. We looked at this verse last week. Uh, but uh, this is what Jesus is saying. If you look at uh, the book of Titus, chapter 3 and verse 5, Paul says this. Paul says, Verse 4, so we can understand the context a little better. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Spirit. That's what Jesus is talking about. When he says to Nicodemus, you must be born again, what he means is you must be washed and you must be renewed. You need the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, Nicodemus. That's what you need. You need the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. We have to remember that when Jesus, let me make some connections here. When Jesus teaches those disciples on the road to Emmaus, about his life, death, burial, and resurrection. Is he quoting from the book of Romans? The book of Romans doesn't exist. Paul's going to write that later. He's going to the Old Testament and showing them about his life, burial, and resurrection. And Nicodemus should have known about the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit from the Old Testament. He should have known these things. In the Old Testament, the symbol for the forgiveness of sins, for the washing of regeneration, the symbol was water throughout the Old Testament. So, for example, look at the book of Numbers. Look at Numbers 19. And here we have the ceremony of how, how to make the water that would be sprinkled on people for cleansing. And what I want you to catch is exactly what, not how it's made, but the purpose of this water. Because we're told what what it's for. So look at Numbers 19, uh, beginning at verse 7. Numbers 19, beginning at verse 7. So after they they burn this uh, red heifer, this... um, they would take the ashes and do something with it. But then the priest shall wash his clothes after he done this. he's done this. He shall bathe in water, and afterwards he shall come into the camp. The priest shall be unclean until evening. And the one who burns it, the calf, shall wash his clothes in water and bathe in water and shall be unclean until evening. Then a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and store them outside the camp in a clean place. And they shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for the water of purification. It is for purifying from sin. That's what the water was for. So they had this water, and the water would be used in purification rituals. Now, was this like holy water? No. This The water was a symbol. It had no power. It's not like you could run around, you know, and like... Now you're, you're holy, right? 
I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Nacho Libre when he baptizes his friend. You know, psh, praise the Lord, right? It's not, the water didn't work that way, but it was symbolic, right? It was a symbol of cleansing, that God would clean the people. It was an emblem. It was a promise of God that they would be cleansed. And it pointed forward. And we get a vivid example when there's some uncleanness going around. If you look at verse 17 of the same chapter, how the water would be used. And for an unclean person, verse 17, they shall take some of the ashes of the heifer burnt for purification for sin, and running water shall be put on them in a vessel. And the clean person shall take hyssop, dip it in the water, and sprinkle it on the tent and on all the vessels on the person who were there or on the one who touched the bone, the slain, the dead, or the grave, right? So hyssop would be dipped in the water, and the hyssop would be used to sprinkle a person clean, right? But it's not that the water made them clean. It had no property to do it, but it was symbolic of the cleansing that God promised for those who obeyed him. That's all. That's all that it was symbolic for. So now you you think of Psalm 51. When David is repenting of his sin, what is the imagery that he uses? Is he literally saying, purge me with hyssop, get some hyssop, dip it in the water, and sprinkle me with it? That's not what he's saying. When he's confessing his sin in Psalm 51 verse 2, he says, wash me thoroughly. With Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. What does he have in mind? He has in mind the form of Old Testament worship. But what he's asking for is not external cleansing of his body, but of his own heart. You see, David is already picking up the Old Testament imagery and not applying it externally. He's applying it to himself internally. So in verse 7, when he says, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. He's using the Old Testament language to express to God what he needs spiritually, internally, internally. This is what he needed. This is what he needed. And this illustration is is carried forward and is brought into the very essence of of the hopes of Israel. So that in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 1, it says, In that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. There would be a, a, it would be a bubbling, this bubbling brook of, of purifying water that would cleanse the people when the Messiah came. So, so th- this is the background. This is what Jesus is communicating. He says you need the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. If I wanted to use theological language, the way that I would state it is, uh, Nicodemus, you need, what you need is the promise of the new covenant. You need the promise of the new covenant. 
This is a passage that we've looked at several times, but turn again with me to Ezekiel chapter 36. Because if there's any passage that is specific that Jesus had in mind when he's speaking to Nicodemus is Ezekiel chapter 36. And uh, I'll read, I'll begin reading from verse 22. The people are defiled. Their ways, they have turned to unclean ways. So now God is going to pour, God is pouring out his fury upon them. He's pouring out his wrath upon them. And in verse 22, it says, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God. When I hollow you, excuse me, when I am hollowed in you before their eyes, for I will take you from among the nations and gather you and bring you out of their country and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. God does this. God comes to his people in the new covenant and God gives the new heart. God washes the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the spirit. And here, here, note first that the reference, I will put a new spirit within you, is not, that is not synonymous with the Holy Spirit. That is not synonymous with the Holy Spirit. The fact that we receive the Spirit is coming in verse 27. But what he's saying is he's going to renew the whole person. He's going to give you a, a heart, a new heart, and a new spirit within you. I will take out the heart of stone, the heart that wasn't receptive, right? And give you a heart of flesh, a soft heart. And not only will I do that, is your old spirit, your old nature, that old character, the old attitude that you have, that, that, that old way of living. I will give you a new spirit. I will place within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit, right? I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be, uh, excuse me, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I have given to your fathers. You see, this is the promise of the new covenant. What, what, what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is, Nicodemus, the promises of the new covenant must be fulfilled in you for you to enter the kingdom of God. Being an ethnic Jew does not guarantee your place in God's kingdom. It doesn't. And Nicodemus is dumbfounded. How can these things be? 
How can it be that this is the case? That I, a Jew, a righteous Jew, must be created anew. This is what has to happen to every person who wants to enter the kingdom of heaven. God must work. It is the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. John 6. Spiritual regeneration must come from God, from the spirit of God. So Paul writes in Romans 8, 9, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. You do not belong to Jesus if you do not have his Spirit. That's why we don't baptize babies. Right? Babies, right? Don't repent, don't believe. You know, they don't. Now that God could work miraculously and does work miraculously and and do all of those things, that's his prerogative. But God's mysteries and God's prerogatives, right, don't determine the way that we do church. Thus, spiritual regeneration must come from God. We become sons. We are adopted. Paul, Paul Paul, the way that he states it is he says in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says that we are a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. In Galatians 6.15, he uses the same language. He says that we are a new creation. There's neither circumcised nor uncircumcised, but a new creation. God has done a new thing. And here he's speaking corporately of God's people. We're a new creation. And in 2 Corinthians, he's speaking individually. The individual becomes a new creation. Why? Because as the Spirit descended in creation and separated the waters and then breathed life into all that's living, that's exactly what he does. The Spirit descends upon a man and imparts new life. And the evidence of new life is you believe. It's not that you believe first and then you're born again. The Spirit gives life. This flesh can profit nothing. Absolutely nothing. You cannot enter the kingdom of God. And I would say you would not want to enter the kingdom of God if you were not born again. You wouldn't want to. It's like taking a fish out of water, right? You take a fish out of water, and let's say you take that fish and you put them in a brand new Mercedes Benz. What's that fish going to do? It's going to love the heated seats, traction control, and V12 engine. Oh, get me back in the water, right? It doesn't matter what you do. You could you could take the fish and you could put the fish in a multi-million dollar mansion, whatever you wanted to do with the fish, put them in a cruise ship and a helicopter, whatever you want. He is not going to enjoy it. He is not going to enjoy it. He's going to hate it. He's going to be want to be put back into his environment. The Spirit must give life. The Spirit must give life. Let's turn back to John here. And he, he continues. He says, That which is born of flesh is flesh, 
And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That's the issue. Our carnal flesh has no power, no ability to transform us. There is nothing, absolutely nothing that we can do. We are ruined because of our sin. God created man upright in his own image, in knowledge, in righteousness, and holiness, but man has sought out his own ways. So in Ecclesiastes 7.29, the author there, Solomon, puts it this way, See this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they sought out many schemes. And that's every person, indiscriminately. In Romans 5.12, it says, Just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. They all sinned in Adam. And they came into the world guilty. You see, um, it, you know, children are a gift from God. But every time two sinners come together, even if they're uh, born-again sinners, you come together and you produce a child, you know what you've produced? Uh, I would, uh, people, yes. Uh, I would say it this way, though. You've created a fallen creature. You've created a, a little person who will either, when they grow up, or at some point when they pass, who will either spend eternity in the presence of God or they will spend eternity in the lake of fire. And that's because we're fallen. So even our own children, what we produce, we produce fallen sons of Adam. We've got no strength in and of ourselves. We have no power to sanctify ourselves. And we have no power to be born again. We are born dead in trespasses and sins. And because of that, we need a second birth. God has to come and produce life. As I said, what he does now to Nicodemus is this is the reason. This is the reason why we need the new birth because we are fallen sons of Adam. We are sinners in the worst possible way. Our will is bound. Well, let me. Um, so we can say spiritually, morally, and legally we are condemned. Spiritually, morally, and legally, we are condemned. Morally, we sin. That, that, that's the, 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 the easiest way for us to see it. The fact that we are sinners and we break God's law. It becomes most evident for us like this. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. And this defines all of us. We sin. And we don't sin. We don't become sinners because we sin. 
but we sin because we are sinners. We have a spiritual problem. There is a spiritual problem. We are flesh. And John may not have the negative connotations that Paul has when he makes reference, reference to flesh. Here he may just mean human. Human. And every human is born this way, fallen and under the curse and judgment. Under the curse and judgment of God. So, for by a man death came, by a man has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. There's, you, those who are united to Adam in their fallen nature, sin and will die. They bear the curse. They are under the curse of the wrath of God. But when they are united to Christ through the new birth, they have life. They are given newness of life. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Then he says to Nicodemus, Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Don't let this surprise you. And what Jesus is, is now he's going to illustrate this, but the reason why he brings up this point, he says to Nicodemus, you must be born again, is because he has, he has just made it absolutely clear to Nicodemus that he has no power in and of himself to do this. You must be born spiritually. Spiritual life must be imparted to you. And it's not something that you can do for yourself. Do not marvel. And now he illustrates it. He says, the wind blows where it wishes. In, in Greek, the word for wind and spirit is the same word. It's the same exact word. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. Right? Even today, right, with all of our technology, right, we, we, we can track the way that wind blows, but actually where it comes from, we don't know. You can't perceive it with your eyes, but you know that it's blowing. It's coming from the east. It's coming from the west. But is it always, right, it's... it's um, not something that we can perceive and see, but we do see the effects of it. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. What is his point there? You see that so, right? That, that's a, that's, a, that's a, this is how you know. That's what that so is there for. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. In the same way, it is those who are born of God. You see the life in them, right? You see that the Spirit produces a newness of life. As uh, Paul writes in uh, several places, we, we are renewed into the image of the new man. We are conformed into the image of Christ. We put off righteousness and put on, excuse me, we put, no, we don't put off righteousness. We, we put off lawlessness and we put on righteousness. 
as we saw in Ezekiel chapter 36, what happens to the person. God writes his law upon their hearts. And what do they do? They walk according to his precepts. Yet the act of it, the working of the Spirit, it's something that's unseen. It's not by some ritual or rite. It's not by circumcision. It's not by baptism. It's not by the Lord's Supper. It's not by membership in a church. It's by the power of the Spirit. Really leaves us completely in the hands of God. It leaves us completely in the hands of God. We have no power of ourselves to do this. So that's what his illustration is intended to do. It's intended to show us that we are completely at the mercy of God. But as I said last Sunday, there's no better place to be than in the hands of a merciful God. And here, if you're sitting here this morning and you're questioning, you know, I don't think I'm a Christian or... um, I'm not a Christian. I've n- never been a Christian. What, what should I do? Uh, I would turn, uh, turn with me to 1 Peter, and this is a passage that I read uh, last week. And um, in 1 Peter, we read these words. Uh, verse 22. In verse 22 it says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love for the brethren, love one another, love one another fervently with a pure heart. So, so, so there is obedience in the life of these believers, right? They are pure-hearted, This purified themselves doesn't mean that they did the washing of regeneration to themselves, no. What he's talking about here is they're growing by availing themselves of the means that God has given them. Verse 23 helps us understand what happened that caused this in their life, this sincere love for the brethren. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Now, uh, um, I'll read the Old Testament quotation. Because all flesh is grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flower fails, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now, this is the word which... By excuse me. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. So what do you do? You're in a position where I've not been born again. You must bring yourself under the preaching of the gospel. God uses the word of God to impart life. This the this it's so it's not just a transfer of information. That's not what it is. But what God uses, the Holy Spirit uses to open your eyes is the Word of God and particularly the preaching of the Word of God is what the Spirit of God uses to open the eyes of His people. So if you're sitting here today concerned and worried, sit under the preaching of the Word. Pay attention to the preaching of the Word. 
Don't ignore the preaching of the word. Avail yourself of the preaching of the word and cry out to God who is merciful, who is merciful and abounds in grace and desires that his people would come to him and saves his people under the preaching of the gospel. Next week, we will turn uh, again to John chapter 3. You see, I did get through verse 8, but it it is 1230. So um, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We ask, Lord, that um, you would bless your people by the preaching of it. Any errors, Lord, or things that I've misspoken, I pray that you would erase from their memory, but that you would use only what is good, Lord, uh, to teach them of your ways and to teach them of your mercy and to help them, Lord, understand the work that you have accomplished in them. Lord, we marvel at your grace towards us and we ask that you would continue to work in us. In Christ's name we pray.